Hello, everyone. So welcome to another episode of Shred's Takes. I am glad that you guys are able to come back here and join us. And I'm going to get right into some interesting stuff. So people might have seen the Jets just traded Jamal Adams, the Seahawks, for two first-round picks and Bradley McDougald, safety Bradley McDougald. And a lot of people who are Jets fans are sitting at this and singing, thinking to themselves, we might have won this trade. And from the outside looking in, people are going to say, well, why did you guys, how did you guys win this trade? How did you guys do this? Because Jamal Adams is one of the best safeties in the NFL. And you just let him go to the Seahawks and made them a contender. How are the Jets better off in this? And I'll tell you exactly why. So let's start by breaking down exactly how the Seahawks and the, and the Seahawks, you know, build their system. In 2016, they were a big cover three defensive scheme type of team with Richard Sherman, with Earl Thomas, and with Cam Chancellor. They were able to really expand that team, really beat you with their physicality, their toughness, their size at those positions, and their speed. They were just unbelievable at being able to work off each other. Sherman, Cam Chancellor, and Thomas were really great at working off each other and doing really good stuff in terms of just like, you know, being able to read passing and running coverage as well and being able to at least feed off each other and work the defensive scheme correctly. Now, the problem with Jamal Adams is whether or not he can fit into a positionless safety type scheme that the Seahawks are running now. The Seahawks system is much different than it was in 2016 when Cam Chancellor was very effective. Now what the Seahawks see him as, and there's a quote from one of the, from one of the guys in the Seahawks, they basically see him as Cam Chancellor with better pass coverage. Now, what does that mean? That means that they can use him in between the slots and be able to allow him to really roam around and be very effective at stopping opponents who are running and also stop the slot receivers that cause a lot of issues for a lot of teams in the NFL. But the problem is, since it's positionless, Jamal Adams was not really playing positionless with the Jets. Marcus May was taking up a lot of free safety role for Jamal Adams because Jamal Adams, again, played in between the slots a lot of the times. And that made it a little difficult, too, to be, for him to be able to adjust to that. Now, he might be able to because Jamal Adams is an all-pro, all-world type of talent. But the reason why I think the Jets won this trade is because the value they got back for a safety like Jamal Adams is unbelievable. And, the, and the, you know, you, you look at the Seahawks. The Seahawks gave a little too much up to get a safety. Now, if it was, a, it was, you know, if Russell Wilson was getting traded to the Seahawks, I would kind of get that because a quarterback is more valuable in today's NFL than a safety. Now, safeties are very valuable, especially if they, you know, can do a lot of things, but they don't always dictate the game, right? They can dictate how a person maybe passes it, but they don't get always the passes thrown to them every possession. The quarterback really has a big role in how the game goes. So does the running back. So does the offensive line. So giving up a lot for him for a guy like Jamal Adams really benefits the Jets because the Jets now have the 20, 2021 and 2022 first-round draft picks. So what does that mean for them? They can get the best players in that draft in those rounds for that year, and they can build up their young talent around a guy like Sam Darnold and now allow Adam Gase to hopefully show what he can do as a coach. Now, I don't think Gase is necessarily a, the, big re, the big issue with the Jamal Adams thing. I just don't think they meshed well enough because – Gase focused more on the offensive side of the ball. The reason why a guy like Andy Reid is so well, and Michael Vick on the, on the herd talked about this really well, 
the reason why a guy like Andy Reid is good, because Andy Reid's an offensive genius, but he's also really understanding of defensive schemes as well. And he's able to work with the defensive team as well and talk to them about how he wants to approach things, how the defensive coordinator wants to approach things. And Adam Gase is not as, not as good at that. Adam Gase is way more focused on the offensive side of the football. So for a guy like Jamal Adams, I understand why he wanted out. Because the Jets fans might say, well, he was being a little bit of a prima donna, whatever. See, I don't see it that way. I see it more as the fact that he wanted to go to a place where he would be more respected. Now, the Seahawks, he's definitely going to get way more respect, way more recognition. And he also be in a position that's better equipped to win a Super Bowl. The Seahawks, I think, are definitely a contender already, even without him there. Now that, that losing those draft picks definitely hurts them for the future. It's kind of an all-in this year kind of mentality right now because they're not getting the same draft picks they would have got if they didn't trade for Jamal Adams. So that's where I think the Jets won the trade is because in the future, the Jets are going to be better off. Jamal Adams is a great player, and I think the, the Seahawks will be great with him there. But the Jets have the potential of getting really good draft picks if they draft correctly and also being able to build up a really good roster. It's interesting, too, because Earl Thomas is, a, is an example of kind of just how cover three really worked back then, but, you know, you, you're not you're running the cover three for the Seahawks anymore, right? Because Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, and Richard Sherman, like I said, really dominated in that cover three. But now, since it's more positionless, you, you might have to move Jamal Adams around a lot. And it's whether or not, even though he's so talented, whether he can really do that, whether he can really be willing to change his position during the games and being able to read the coverages the same way. He's a very good pass cover type of player, but being able to kind of read that well enough and not rely on just his natural instincts from just being that kind of slot safety in a sense, right? So that's also just, I think, where the issues lie with the Seahawks. Now the Seahawks are going to be, again, like I said, really good with him, but I do believe wholeheartedly that they gave up a little too much on this deal. Shifting into the NBA a little bit. So anyone who follows the NBA saw that Lou Williams is now placed on a 10-day quarantine at, per punishment from the NFL. And the reasons behind that are pretty simple. He went to a club when he was supposed to be on excused absence, went to the Magic City Gentlemen's Club in Atlanta to get food, but we had a picture with him and Jack Harrow, the, the rapper, together. And now he's placed on a 10-day quarantine. Now, everyone, like, you know, Max Kellerman, Kendrick Perkins, Skip Bayless on his net on Undisputed, and, you know, Max Kellerman, Kendrick Perkins on first take, really just went into him and said, you know, how can you do this? Like, you know, you're, you're really just not thinking, you're stupid, you're not thinking about yourself. And here's the thing I want to bring up, and I'm, gonna, I'm not playing devil's advocate because, you know, you got to know a little bit better if you're in the, in the bubble. But the thing I'm going to say, too, is that, you have to understand that the, it's, it's really difficult as an NBA athlete, and maybe this is, you know, unfair to say this, but it's really, uh, you know, as an NBA athlete, you are used to a lifestyle. And also, he wanted to go get food at a restaurant, and he happened to be taking a picture. Now, if he didn't take a picture, maybe nothing would have happened. He would have had a four-day quarantine or whatever, but it's kind of the sense of, like, you know, it's really hard when you're out of the bubble to not make mistakes. It just is. It's really hard. And especially as an NBA athlete who's used to a certain lifestyle, it's difficult. Now, Lou Williams is a veteran. He probably should know better than to get in a picture with Jack Harrow. He should just get takeout and go rather than sitting in and eating. I think that's a bit of a problem, too. And again, he was following. Lou Williams is a great guy. He's done a lot of good things. 
at least from what I've read. And I don't think he maliciously was trying to destroy the Clippers or, or you know, cause any issues. I think in just the moment when you're hungry, you're just not thinking necessarily about your team in that situation. And, you know, maybe if he had a time to think, that would be different. Now, if it was a rookie, this would be excused. But since Lou Williams is a veteran who's a big piece of the Clippers championship puzzle, I think it's a bit of a problem. And I think it's going to hurt the Clippers going forward. He's going to miss the first two games they have for seeding games. And I think that's going to really disrupt the rhythm. I actually now think the Lakers are going to win against the Clippers because of the fact that I think Lou Williams, if Lou Williams is back, I had the Clippers winning because I think the Clippers just have more talent. The Lakers are still adjusting to having Dion Waiters and J.R. Smith in their lineup and having Quinn Cook play more minutes, Alex Caruso playing more minutes than he did before, everything like that, right? So the issue it's going to come down to is they don't really have, if they don't have Harrell or Beverly back, the Lakers will easily win that game. But if they do have Harrell and Beverly back, I still will take the Lakers just because I think Lou Williams is an extra punch off the bench that really brought the Clippers over the edge. Now, Harrell's a 19-point-a-game scorer. He you know, shoots a great percentage. He's a really great player. But Lou Williams is also a 19, 18-19-point-a-game guy off the bench. And he's a guy that can easily put up 30 off the bench. He's a guy who can just light it up whenever you need him to. So not having him for those first two games, especially when you play the Lakers on opening night, is going to definitely affect the team. In terms of their chemistry, a team that's had issues with chemistry all year, as Kawhi and PG have only played 35 games together, which is not is not the same as AD and LeBron, who's played 50-plus together. So you're having that chemistry issue. You look at the Lakers, too. The Lakers have no problem with their chemistry. And it's really, like I said, the Clippers. The Clippers have more talent. you know, I, I, And, you know, probably a better coach, too. But the problem with the Clippers has been their chemistry all year because they haven't played enough games here. When they play, they, they play well together, but it's also you're not having that same chemistry level. And without Lou Williams, then that's a, another chink in the armor of the chemistry issues. And now I think it makes the Lakers a more favorable title pick. And that's just because the LeBron and AD work really well together. They have, you know, really the second best offense when LeBron's in the court. They have, you know, a top five defense. And – LeBron's able to fit those pieces in. Now, I think it will take some time for him, Deion Wears and J.R. Smith to come in, but I think they've done a better job actually adjusting, especially Deion Wears than I thought initially. And that's his whole situation. Now, since Lou Williams is out, I think the Lakers win that game opening night because of the fact that the Clippers don't have that talent advantage. And that's really what I had them having over the Lakers was if they had Lou Williams, they just had – they have been working through their chemistry things through the scrimmages, and they would have the ability now to have more talent and really capitalize on that talent. And they have guys who just have a doggish mentality, right? The Lakers really have two players that are, you know, top five in the NBA and then a bunch of really good role players. Because Kuzma hasn't really shown consistently that he can be a star. He's shown glimpses of it. You know, he had 25 points against the Magic in that scrimmage, which is unbelievable, but he's not consistent all the time. But I think that the other role players will step up. And I, I think the Lakers will win. I just think that they will win opening night now just because Lou Williams isn't there. That's really the important thing, too. Now, also, Zion is now back in the bubble. He's going to be placed in that four-day quarantine, so he'll be able to be back Tuesday. And I think for a guy like Zion, who's already in just terrific shape, and I know he was keeping up his conditioning when he was gone, too, that's going to really help the Pelicans because if you look at their first two scrimmages, actually, they looked really good. They were moving the ball really well. Guys were getting a lot of open shots. Brandon Ingram was doing his thing. And now look, Brandon Ingram averages 25 points 
on 46% shooting and 36% from three when Zion wasn't there. And then he shoots 44%, 40% from three and averages 21 and a half points a game when Zion was there. And that's a bit of adjustment thing because Zion, you know, gets a lot of easy points because he just can roll around the rim, get a lot of dump offs, alley-oops because he's just a transcendental athlete. Um, and I think that's just the, the, the thing too is that with the Pelicans – Having Zion come back before the first game is going to be great for them. Having at least a couple of days of practice where he can come in and be able to impact the game like he can. I think the one thing Zion needs to prove a little bit more to me is better rebounding like he did in college. And I think with his better conditioning, he will. And I think that's just going to be great going forward. And also, I think it's just going to be good for the team overall to have a guy like Zion back in the lineup, be able to feed off his energy, because you can see them playing right now. They have a lot of young energy. They just torch the Nuggets in that scrimmage because they're fast. They can get in the lane, kick out for threes. But having Zion makes them a lot better in terms of their paint points too because Zion is just so dominant in the paint. You know, I, I was looking at his stats. His first 10 games, he averaged 22 points a game. His last nine, he averaged 25 a game, including a couple 30-point games against the Lakers. And that just shows you how great of a player Zion can be. It really does. And that's why I think the Pelicans have a really good shot of getting that eighth seed is because they look really good in their scrimmages. For example, the Grizzlies do not look very good in their scrimmages. They are getting blasted by everything they've played so far. Now it's a scrimmage, so many things may change. But I think the problem with the Grizzlies, and I'm going to say this strictly, and this is why I think Zion coming back makes a big difference. Uh, the Grizzlies, I think, just needed their home crowd because the Grizzlies – aren't necessarily a great offensive team. They have Jaron Jackson, who's a really good player, and John Morant. But the other guys in their team are like good role pieces, but they're really just going to be defensively. But they can't score at a high level. That's where the, the problem lies. And that's really going to make things, I think, tougher for them. And Portland, Portland looks really good, actually. I'll give them that in the screens. They do look very good. But their schedule's tough. So also they have to try and figure out if they're going to put Collins and Nurkic together or Whiteside and Nurkic together, even though I thought they did a decent job, Nurkic and Whiteside together. I like the Collins-Nurkic thing a little bit better because Collins is a much better shooter. Collins is more of a traditional four. You bring Hassan Whiteside off the bench who can give you, you know, 20 minutes and give you those points that he needs to do. I think that's a better line that Portland should go to. And that's really, I think, the crucial piece for them. But the Pelicans have an easy schedule, and I think they're also playing in the right way. And they're playing well as out Zion is – definitely something right because when they get him back who knows they can be the AFC now and, and me being biased too I, I want to see the Pelicans in the AFC because I love the way they play right the team that legitimately has the best shot to beat the Lakers though is definitely the Portland Trailblazers but Portland has a tough schedule they had the fifth toughest schedule of any team in the bubble and that's that's gonna be hard the Pelicans have the easiest right so that's gonna be a little interesting at the end of the day the last thing I wanted to bring up quickly is the MLB just announced that there's been a COVID crisis within the Miami Marlins and they had to shut down two games due to that problem. And let's just be honest about it. It's that's a big issue, a big issue. If baseball wants to keep going, having a bunch of players on one team test positive for COVID is the risk that you take. And the problem, this is why I don't understand why the MLB is not in a bubble. They were considering it. And now they, they, they decided to not do it. And that's a problem, right? Because having this happen is always a risk. And having this happen 
is going to deter baseball from happening. I don't see baseball finishing now. Why? Because if one team is having this COVID crisis, what's to say another team won't? The reason why the NHL and NBA are working because they're in bubble formats, because they're thinking outside of playing in their own stadiums and thinking about the safety concerns of everyone. I think MLB is doing that too, so I'm not discrediting that, but I'm saying playing in different, in, in the same, in different stadiums is not always ideal. And even if you don't have fans there, why is that necessarily going to be b- different? You're still traveling around and everything like that. And that's the problem with the Marlins right now. You know, that, that, that's what happened with the COVID crisis, and that's a, that's a big issue, big problem. And overall, I think the MLB is not going to happen now because I think you're going to probably see more teams have the same issue. And, and it's, it's just, I think, because the fact that they're not in the bubble format. And that's really just at the end of the day what it comes down to. And I really do hope the, M- the MLB figures it out. I hope they can maybe save the season, maybe change it to a bubble format, because I think it's crucial. Because if you think about what I talked about in one of my previous podcasts or previous clips on YouTube, what I basically spoke into was that the fact that if the MLB can create a bubble, they can create a safety net around the players. The, ML- the NBA is doing that really well. As you see, no COVID tests have happened in, inside the bubble. The NHL has done a pretty good job overall. It's very strict up there. Now there's been some COVID cases, but they, they've been able to dealt with it accordingly. And that's really why those, those sports will be able to play easily. They will have no issues because they are able to get into a bubble. Now, the hockey being up in Canada is a big advantage for them as well because of the fact that they're in an area where COVID's not rampant. And also, they're away from America where COVID's the worst right now. Hands down, the cases keep rising in America. So that's a bit of a problem there, too. And in the NBA, you just have, again, this is Adam Silver just being a great leader once again. He's just enforcing very strict rules and being able to keep the players safe, keep the games going, and allow entertainment to happen. Because what sports is, sports is an escape from everything that's going on in reality. It's a chance for you to watch entertainment, to not have to worry about your issues, to not have to worry about the political divide in our country, to be able to watch sports. And that's really where I think at the end of the day, that's the important piece that these bubbles present is it allows entertainment to happen. Now, I was really happy that the MLB was able to get that game between the Yankees and Nationals and have the highest ratings in baseball. But the fact that now that COVID cases are running through the Marlins, yeah, that's a big issue. And I don't see the MLB happening after that point. I'm going to wrap it up here. Guys, thank you again for tuning in to the podcast. I'm going to be producing another episode or two this week. Also, check out my website. It's where I write a bunch of articles about things I don't talk about on my podcast. So I talked about the Tom Thibodeau hire, what it means for the Knicks. And I also spoke about the big ball lineup for the Nuggets, which, again, I don't think is going to actually be maintained long-term if you saw in the scrimmage yesterday. But I talked a little bit about that. So. Follow my Instagram, look on YouTube for this clip, Apple Podcasts, Spotify for everything like that. So appreciate you guys tuning in and take it easy.